Welcome to the Intelligent Living Podcast, where we discuss all things related to life. We have the entirety of the world's encyclopedias at our fingertips. There is more knowledge available to us now than in any time in human history. So why does it seem that the majority of people are not living intelligent and wise lives? Well, my name's Elliot. I'm the producer here at Intelligent Living, and our goal is to equip and empower you with the wisdom it takes to live life more abundantly. I was at Sprouts probably about a month ago, maybe longer. And a lady walked up to me, and I just thought of this, actually. A lady walked up to me who I did not recognize, a Hispanic lady. And I was not dressed in my, I call this my uniform. Usually during the week, it's a T-shirt, some under armor to keep warm. I hate the cold. Uh, Some shorts um, so you can see my bony legs, I guess, skinny legs. But anyway, so I have, you know, my stuff on. I look nothing like this. And this lady sees me at Sprouts. That's how I was dressed. And she walks up to me, and she says, Pastor Kerry. And I didn't recognize her. I looked at her. I said, uh, uh, yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's me. She said, you're Pastor of the Potter's house still? I said, yes. And she said, obviously, you don't remember me. And she told me her name. And then she told me that I prayed for her mother uh, years ago. And I listened to her, and she said, you really prayed for my mother. God helped her. And I think she said it was something like 15 years ago. And she said, I just want to say thank you for praying for my mom. God helped us. And I've been thinking about coming back to church. I need to come to church. So I just want to say thank you. And after she said this, I I spent time talking to her. But what I thought about was, you know, there's a lot of us over the years have given our finances, our time, our love to people. And sometimes we're led to think for a moment that it's all in vain, that no one knows, no one sees it. But let me tell you something, God takes account of all of it. And there's a lot of things we've all done, not just giving finances, but giving of ourselves to the people. You know, there's going to come a day you and I will be with Jesus. And everything we've ever done, he said in my name, I'm going to reward you for. So let me go and officially start this morning. I'm going to preach a sermon called Eyes for Easter and a Heart for God. This lady's name is uh, Barbara... Fredrickson, and she wrote a book on positivity. And I know I just spoke on it Thursday. I'm not against it, but it's very interesting because in this book, she talks about the power of having a right attitude. And she talks about what it does for people and and how it changes. Here's one of the things she says. Having the right attitude can actually begin to change your personality it opens up our character and makes us more tolerant of other people. So they had a group of people, and they had them look at some slide presentation. One group, they just had them stand up, watch the slide, didn't say nothing to them. The other group, they engaged them and got them in a very good mood. They're very open. They're very positive. They're feeling good. Then they asked that group to look at the same slides this group was looking at. And what they discovered was the group that was, had a good attitude saw details in the slides. Put out, they saw a lot more images than the other group. And there's other studies like that. And what they concluded was pretty simple, and that was just simply this. Having a right attitude increases your range of vision, and it gives you the ability to see the bigger picture. 
You see with your eyes. The truth about it is we, we think and we see with our eyes. Our eyes is a reflection of what's going on in our heart. And so it does matter what you see. What you're able to see, a lot of that is determined what's going on in your heart. But having a right attitude, you see things different and you see the bigger picture. So let me think just briefly about our thoughts. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. When we think, what it's really talking about is what's in our heart gives us the ability to see or not see. And I've said this, and it's true, I believe it. Vision flows from the heart. And it depends on what's going on in here will determine, I think, whether or not we're able to see the big picture or a small picture. Able to see maybe good things or maybe not so good things. And so our whole story of Easter, everyone knows the story of Easter. Unsaved people, I had a friend I told, and he didn't know. He said, it's Easter. And I said, ho, 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 Merry Easter. And he said, okay, ho, ho, back to you, Merry Easter. Is that what you guys say? And I said, well, I guess we can. But here's the point I'm making is everyone knows the story of Easter. It's the resurrection. It's the foundation of Christianity. Okay, give me the chocolate bunny now. It's like it has no bearing in real life. They know the story. But how does a story make any sense to you? And how does a story impact our lives? The type of speaker that I am, I like to make things very, have application. And it has to mean something to me. And so I hope this Easter story is, is not just that you get something out of it, is what I'm saying. I, I hope you see something maybe you didn't see before. And so we'll read the main text in a moment. It's at the book of John, chapter uh, 20. We're going to read verses 10 through 18. But before I read it, eyes for Easter and a heart for God. Before I read the text, right before this, the disciples had already gone because there's too much reading for, and I don't want to do that. Uh, the disciples had already gone to the tomb. It was already empty. Okay, they had already gone there. They see what's going on. <clears throat> they don't really understand what's taking place at all. They just know the tomb's empty. They don't have no idea where the body is. They have no idea. They, didn't, they could not grasp or handle or they couldn't wrap their mind around the thought of someone rising from the dead. Jesus said it to his disciples more than once that I will rise again on the third day. There's a reason why none of them was able to even believe that because it was such a, it was such a foreign concept those days. No one had ever done it in history and only one person has ever done it in history as Jesus so they didn't understand what it meant. They saw the empty tomb. They didn't immediately go, oh, yeah, he rose again. That's the absolute opposite of what they believed. So they had already gone to the tomb. And so there they are. They look at the tomb. And now they're so discouraged or devastated. Now they're going to go back home. And that's when we pick up verse 10. It says that. And we'll follow with me. We get right into this quickly. John 20, beginning in verse uh, 10. says the disciples went back to their homes but mary who actually by the it's mary magdalene just so you know but mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels seated in white they were seated where jesus's body had been one at the head and one at the foot they asked her woman why are you crying she says, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. 
Woman, he said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Then Jesus said to Mary, said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and she cried out, teacher. Then Jesus said, do not hold me. For I have yet not returned to my father, but go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them the things that he had said to her. Amazing story. Very quickly, I'm just going to make one note of something here because I think it is important. The disciples had looked inside the tomb, and they go back in verse 10. But the disciples did not see the two angels. The disciples did not see Jesus. I thought, when I read things like that, I'm always thinking, I'm sure you are, I'm thinking, why didn't they see the angel? Why didn't they see Jesus? Well, if you know the history, Mary Magdalene was a woman the Bible says Jesus cast out seven devils. And she was demon-possessed. God set her free. She was radically changed. She was radically saved, we'd say today. She was radically saved. Uh, having seven devils, that woman's got some issues. And so Jesus radically changes this woman. But maybe the fact that, like Jesus said once, those that have been forgiven much, they love much. And I think because she had a deeper, I really believe this, she had a deeper love for Jesus than I think most of the disciples. In fact, I think the women seem to show in Scripture that they had a deeper love for Christ because when all was said and done, the women never walked out on Christ. The men did. And so I thought maybe because someone, when someone has a deeper love for God that they see things that others don't see. They have encounters with God that others don't have, and I believe that. You show me someone who's deeply in love with God, they'll experience things that are foreign to you if you're not in love with God. So <clears throat> here she is. Let's think about Mary for a moment here and kind of put yourself in her position. She's brokenhearted. She comes to this place. She's totally distracted by her grief. She's anxious. And the dreams of this group of followers of Jesus... In fact, not just the followers of Jesus, the dreams for all of Israel that this was the Messiah. And so for three and a half years, it comes to a head. I mean, people are thinking this is the one. No one's doing what he's doing. This is it. He's coming to set us free. He's our Messiah. He's the, he's the one we've waited for all these years. He's going to redeem Israel. He's going to liberate us from the Roman oppression. That's what they really think. But here... The Bible says, and what's ended up happening, their, their dreams were shattered because they saw him tortured. They saw him crucified, which they, it wasn't in their plans. The crucifixion and all of that was not a part of their plans. They saw that, and they saw him buried, and they assumed he's dead. And so their world is basically crumbled. You think all, they put everything to this, it's been taken from them. So that's where they're at, emotionally and spiritually. When you lose hope and you're discouraged or you're depressed, it can, be a very, it can be a very powerful emotion or experience at that moment. 
Well, that's where they're all at. In fact, you read what happens here. She, don't, she can't believe what happened. And that's why she's standing there and, and she decides to look again and she looks again and, and, and she can't believe. She, she cannot believe that the tomb's empty and she cannot believe someone took, in her mind, someone took my Lord away from me. So that's what's going on. So she takes another look. And so the Bible says, so I'm going to focus on a couple things we can learn from Mary quickly. And I think some lessons I think we all can learn from her that just help us in our everyday life. The first point, this is only, by the way, a one point and a half, whatever that is. So the first point is there's a word of challenge to change your focus. The Bible says she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but he did not realize it was Jesus. And Jesus says to her, why are you crying? And whom are you looking for? Thinking he was a gardener. And so there's some things we have to learn if you and I are going to see Easter and we're going to hear Easter. If we're going to have eyes for Easter, there's some things we've got to learn. The first thing that's obvious here is that Mary does not recognize Jesus for the very simple reason is because of her tears. She's blinded for a moment because she had been crying so much, her tears. The Bible says she stood outside the tomb crying. It's, it depends on what translation it means weeping, but it also it literally means to weep, to sob out loud. It's the cry of a mother for a son or a cry of a parent for a child. It's that type of cry. So here she is. She's in this very broken place, and Jesus asks her some questions. <clears throat> and actually, he asked her some questions that he probably asked all of us if we look at it the right way. So <clears throat> here she is. <clears throat> She's blinded by her tears for the moment. You can be blinded by brokenness. You can be blinded by heartache. You can be blinded by pain and disease. You can be blinded by disappointment. You can be blinded by betrayal and not be able to see God at all. You don't see God at all. All you look at your life, you don't see God at all in your life. You, you don't see God who he really is. You don't see him. And because of exactly what I'm saying, you're blinded. You can be blinded by anger. You can be blinded by worry, depression. You can be blinded by frustration. You can be blinded by the lack of control. You can be blinded by family issues. You can be blinded by death. You can be blinded by, our, like our story, grief. She's blinded because she's brokenhearted. And when you're brokenhearted and all your dreams have been taken from you, you don't see things the same. You, you tend to see a very small picture of the moment that you're in that's kind of all you see because that's where you're living at that moment. But it grabs all your attention. It grabs all your energy at that moment. But not just blinded by grief and the bad things, but sometimes you were blinded by the good things. See, how can I be blinded by the good things? Well, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he wants to follow him. But Jesus says, okay, you take your goods, give it to the poor. You have treasure in heaven. Follow me. The Bible says he didn't want to do that. He was blinded by his own riches. There's another time, there's a story called the, the feast, the great feast, and they go to the highway, invite people to come, and the, the, before they go to the highway, they invite the disciples, three people come to Christ and say, I want to follow you, and Jesus says, okay, then follow me. But the Bible gives us what happens. One guy ends up saying, you know, I, I bought some land, I have to go check it out. Another guy says, I bought five pair of oxen, I can't, and another guy says, I just got married, and my wife controls my marriage, I can't become a Christian, and all three of them denied following Christ. 
All three of them are extremely blessed people. Five yoke of oxen, he was a rich man. Bought land, a rich man. Married. These are all people that have been blessed by God, but yet not one of them would follow him. They're blinded by their blessing. So here Mary is, she's heartbroken. And there's something about being heartbroken that, that's very absorbing. It, it really does grab everything about you for a moment. And so when, when Mary doesn't recognize Jesus, some people say, well, did he change his form? <clears throat> I don't know. It doesn't say he changed his form. It just says that she did not recognize him. And I think that's just the power of brokenness. I think that's the power of a broken heart. Because when you're in that place, there's a lot of things we miss. There's a lot of things that I believe sometimes God's trying to teach us, but we don't see. Some things God wants us to learn that we don't learn because we can't see at that moment because of what's going on in our personal life. The Bible says that she didn't realize Jesus was standing right there. The Bible says she didn't know it was him. The word did not know means to behold. It means to consider. It means to perceive. But it also means to remember and appreciate. You cannot appreciate something you don't see. You can't appreciate. I can't appreciate God's goodness if I don't see God's goodness in my life. And her, this moment in her life, uh, she don't see that at all. In fact, think about this. In fact, it's kind of strange because Jesus is standing there talking to her. She thinks he's dead, even though he's right there. And she actually thinks he is working against her. She says to him, if you've taken my Lord's body, just tell me where you put him, I'll go get him. In other words, she doesn't see him as an ally at that moment. She sees him almost as an enemy. Not someone that's helping her, someone that is actually working against her. Her vision was so, so limited. And man, she was way, way off. You think about this. She was way off. She was way wrong. Here she's standing right next to the healer, and she don't realize what's going on. You're standing right next to the one, all the answers for your life. He's right there. He's calling you by name, and she recognized then, but for a moment she didn't. And she thinks, for a moment, you're working against me. Where have you put him? How many times in your life that you've asked God for certain things, and things didn't work out, and you, some people actually get mad at God. And they begin to actually think, you know, he's, 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 I don't know what God has against me. I don't know why God's against me. I don't know how come God isn't helping me now. Just because you don't see God helping you right now doesn't mean he's not helping you right now. Just because he don't look the way you think he ought to look and do the things he ought to do, you think that he should be doing at this moment in your life. There are some people because of COVID-19 that for some of you, you're so blessed You've been blessed by your blessing, but you've been blinded by your blessing. And now you realize there's something more important than money. It's life. And now you're just coming to realize that. There's others. God's the first time you're really going to learn to trust God. God's bringing you to a place. Say, ah, what's going on here? For some of you, it'd be, a, it'd be a whole new, it'd be faith 101. It'd be trust 101. You're learning how to trust him now. Up to now, you say you trusted him. Well, it's easy to do when you have everything and everything is fine. But when you have nothing, things go, your world's falling apart. To trust them then, it's totally, totally different. So Jesus asked this woman why she was crying. And who are you looking for? 
She's in her heartache. She's totally disappointed. Which brings me to the second point. <clears throat> the second point is very important. It's the word of challenge, and I don't want you to miss this. The word of challenge, <clears throat> the message, and the mission, only one part of the mission. It says, <clears throat> John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you also. Do not hold on to me, for I have not returned to my Father, but go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Going back to Mary Magdalene very briefly, is here, if you would have asked her, is this, is this a difficult moment? I bet you she would have said, this is the most difficult moment in my entire life. That's why she, she wouldn't leave the tomb. She, she just, I want to know where his body is. I will get it. That's all I care about. Her world was him. And yet she does not know this. The cause of her grief was the greatest joy of all humanity. The cause, for this moment, she's weeping, but she don't know this moment in your life. It may appear like this is the worst moment in your life, but from God's perspective, the bigger picture perspective, this is not the worst moment in your life in fact this is the greatest moment in all of human history jesus christ is risen but she don't know that there's a lot of things we don't know in her mind he's absent so that brings me to my last thought that's the word of mission a there is a word of mission that will reshape the whole way in which you live in this world. Interesting. And this, about what I'm about to say, last couple of minutes, is so, so true. And this, here's what it means. If you and I really understand the resurrection... It gives us freedom from the world and freedom for the world. If we really understand the resurrection, it gives us freedom from the world and freedom for the world. I will not have time to talk about for the world. I'll say that for maybe next year. <clears throat> so let's talk about from, freedom from this world. Well, what do I mean? Well, here's what I mean. <clears throat> Think. Why is it so hard for us to face suffering? Fill in the blank, all types of suffering, loss. Why is it so hard to face the reality of death? Why is it so hard to face the death of a loved one? Why is it so hard to face setbacks? Why is it so hard to face physical disease? Why is it so hard to face financial, complete financial loss? Why is it so hard sometimes as a believer to do the right thing? You think about doing the right things. Sometimes doing the right thing is going to cost you as a Christian because of your convictions, you're following Christ, if you hold to your convictions. And you know there are a lot of people that battle this. They know if, if they stand up for Christ, they may not get that job promotion. If they don't go along with everyone at work, they, they may not be looked in the right eyes. They, people may look at them like, who do you think you are? It might hurt their reputation. It might hurt their chance of promotion. It's all because... Because of the cost of following Jesus. They may not have some friends. They maybe would have. 
But because they're following Christ, they don't have nothing to do with that Christian. And so, but why is it so hard to, to go through these things? Yesterday I was at the store. I know I shouldn't be going to the store, but I do have to eat. But I was at the store, and the lady at Stater said a lady had dropped some money, and or a guy, I mean, dropped some money, and he walked out. One of the ladies, the workers there, saw the money, picked it up, didn't see who dropped it, though, picked up the money, and said, this lady, uh, uh, someone dropped some money. The lady in the line heard it, got out of the line, went to the lady and said, uh, I, I just dropped some money. She was lying through her teeth. And the worker said, man, I, I should have questioned. I, I, I didn't think nothing about it. Just gave her all the money, the money that he had lo- the person lost. And the person did come back and say, I lost my money. Did you see it? And said, yeah, you gave the offering to some lady. You know, they didn't say that. But, but why do people do that? Why do Christians cheat? Why do people lie? Why is it so hard to make these sometimes very hard choices? I'll tell you why. And I think this is a good point. It's too long to tweet, but it's a tweetable somehow. Because the reason why it's so hard to face all the problems of this world, the reason why we're so conflicted at times to be and do what we're supposed to be doing, because we honestly think that this broken world is the only world we're actually going to have. That is the bottom line, and that does explain everything. We really think that this world is the only world we're ever going to have, so that makes perfect sense. If we think this is the only world we're ever going to have, then I better hold on to everything I have. I better hold on to all my money because it's the only money I'm ever going to have. I better hold on to everything. I, this is the only house I'm ever going to have. I'm going to hold on to my house. Only, whatever it might be, people think this is the only body you're ever going to have. And they, they want to change it, keep it. You can't keep this thing alive. Like one guy says he's going to keep his body alive for 180 years. He's smoking something. But you ain't keeping your body alive for 180 years. And I don't care how many surgeries you have, it's not going to happen. But when you believe that this world is the only world, it makes perfect sense why you lie to keep that job because you think you never make that kind of money again because it's the only world you're going to live in. So it, it makes perfect sense. That's why that I have no problem doing wrong because this is the only world I'm ever going to have and I better hold on to, every, I better hold on to everything I have because this is all I'm ever going to have. The resurrection says that's not true at all. The resurrection says this is not the only world you're ever going to have. There's another world coming. That's what the resurrection says. It's not about a chocolate bunny. It's about there's another world coming. There's a world we can have here and now, and there's another world coming. That's what the resurrection says. So he brings me to my next point. But the resurrection says God is going to renew this material world in which we're going to get back all the things we lost and even the things we never had. Second Peter, it will not be on the screen, but I'll get to the one that will. Listen to this. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, The day of the Lord is surely coming unexpectedly as a thief. The heavenly bodies will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything in it will be burned up. And so since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy lives you ought to be living now. But Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, 
But we are all looking forward to God's promise of a new heavens and a new earth afterwards, where there will only be goodness. And here is the truth. Here is the truth. Is it, it's not over at all when it's all over. It's not over at all when it's all over. No, you're wrong. This is not the only world. This is not the only place. Joni Erickson, I think that's how you say her name. Most of you know, pretty famous Christian author. There's a story before I close and watch a video, but listen to this. She was 18 years old. I guess she got in an accident and she was paralyzed from her neck down. And she had to go to church in the wheelchair. She said she was still trying to come to grips with the horrible accident. And she, she said, I'd go to church. And then the priest or the pastor would ask us to kneel in prayer. And, and I knew I couldn't kneel. I'm in a wheelchair. But he used to drive me crazy. And every time he would ask us to close in prayer or we would kneel in prayer, I couldn't do it. I would burst into tears in church. Then one time... She said, same thing happened. He asked us to kneel and pray. And I almost burst into tears. But then, for some reason, she said, I said a prayer that he prayed. Then I actually prayed the prayer everyone else was praying. And it was about the resurrection. And suddenly it hit me. I suddenly realized that when I get to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I'll be able to do on my resurrected legs is drop down on my grateful, glorified knees and kneel quietly before the feet of my Jesus. Then I'm going to get back on all my feet and I'm going to dance. And she says, can you imagine the hope the resurrection gives someone like me whose spinal cord injury like mine, who lives her life in a wheelchair? Then she continues, can you imagine the hope that it brings someone who's a manic depressive? And I thought, imagine the hope that it brings to someone who's lame or blind. Imagine the hope that it brings to someone that's diseased. Imagine the hope that it brings to someone who's going crazy in their mind. They're full of anxiety and can't even live a normal life. And that's the hope. They have a hope. Imagine the, some, the people that are lonely who die in Christ. There are a lot of them. Who knows? But when they die, their lives will be filled with the perfect love. There are people that die because they're empty, but when they get to heaven, gonna, their lives will be filled by God. Jesus said this to, to his own disciples, which makes perfect, perfect sense. Matthew 19, verse 28. Then Jesus said, I assure you that when this world is made new and the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have been my followers will sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Listen to this. And everyone that has given up houses and brothers and sisters or father and mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. You know, this is not the only world. This is not our only body. This is not the only life you and I are going to have. We are actually going to have a real body in a real place. This is not it. It's, it we're passing through. We're only here for a short amount of time. That's a fact. That's what the resurrection says. Revelations 21 verse 3. The Bible says, I heard a loud choice. A choice. <laughs> I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, home of God is now among men. 
And he will live with them. And he will be his, their people. Yes, God himself will be among them. Verse 4, he will wipe away all their tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of that it will be gone forever. That's a fact. That's what the resurrection says. The resurrection says that there will be a day. The resurrection says you and I are free from this world. So here it is. Think, if we hold to this, then it makes sense the things Jesus challenged us to do and how we ought to live. He told his disciples, sell your possessions, give to those in need. You store treasure in heaven. You have treasure that's safe that no one can ever touch. You'll be blessed later on. And what he's saying, if you understand you've been freed from this world, there's a different way you can live. And how can you live? That means pretty simple. You can live brave. You can live, be willing to give. You'd be willing to take risks. You'd be willing to hope and joy. You'd be willing to make sacrifices. You're willing to love. You're willing to forgive others. Why? This is not my only world. Somebody went to one of our conferences and gave away their, I won't say who it was, went and gave away their, all their savings. They had savings put aside. Saved for many years. They gave it all on, I think, a Thursday night, World Evangelism Night. And I guarantee you there are Christians that would look at them and go, that was such a foolish thing you did. Yeah, if you look at it here and now, you may think that. But if you look at it through God's eyes, God said that's exactly how you ought to live because you're free from this world. This is not your only world. God says, God said, and listen, if there's anyone you and I can trust, it's God. God said, I bless you. You can't outgive me. I bless your life. It's going to be stored up in heaven. It's never going to be touched. My mom, you'd love that song, There Will Be a Day. She called me and said, I, I like that song. I don't know which one she's talking about. I used to have it on my phone as my ringer, There Will Be a Day. And I tell my mom, I say, you know what? There will be a day. That day is actually going to happen, mom. Listen to the scripture in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and then we'll watch this short video. It says it like this. And usually this is read for Christmas, but it's not just a Christmas verse. It's a, it's a reality verse of life to come, life that was, a life that will be. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That's one government you can trust. There's a lot of governments on his shoulder. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Best counselor in the world is God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity from this time, from that time forward, forever and forever. That's what the resurrection says. The resurrection says God came into this world, this broken world, and the resurrection says there's another world coming, and God promises that. Some people say, I don't really believe in Jesus. There's Christians who backslide. I don't know if I believe in You know what? You're foolish because the, the tomb is empty. He's the only person in human history where the gray, he rose from the grave. He's alive. If you could disprove that, 
you'd be good to go. But you can't disprove that. That's why Jesus Christ has got billions of followers since time. Billions of followers. How could he do what he's done unless he's real? Well, the truth is, he is real. Every eye closed. First, a quick word to all the Christians and people that are living in this time. For a lot of folks, it's a worry time. It's a troubled time. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe also in God. The resurrection says that our God's alive. It's a question Jesus said to Mary. He says to all of us, he said, why are you weeping? Because from his point of view is the God you're weeping for is actually alive. You and I, we don't live this life without hope. It's not just, even though I talked about it, it's not just about heaven later. It's about a good life today with Christ, with Jesus. I feel sorry for people that go through times in their life where they're so troubled but they don't have any place to turn. You're a Christian. Everything's going to be all right. Our God's alive. He lives and he lives in you. So today, yeah, we're celebrating Easter, but make it, make it real to yourself, to your family, to your own life. The life that you're living today is a life God gave you because he's a good God. He wants you to enjoy this life, and he doesn't want you to be filled with worry and anxiety and have your hearts troubled. He's called the Prince of Peace. You must believe he lives, and you must believe he lives in you. Maybe you're here listening to me, and you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never said okay God you got my attention you're using the circumstances of life right now you got my attention I, I've been blinded by blessing I've been blinded by everything I've been blinded by my job and everything was always so much more important but God I need you to live I, I need something outside myself and you're here and you're listening to me right now Maybe you've never given your life to him or you knew him at one time and you walked away. And the reason why you walked away is because you believed for a moment that this world was the only world there really was. So you held on to it and now you're disappointed. You're here and I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. And you pray this prayer with me. Say it in your heart. If you're by yourself or your family, you can say it out loud. You simply say, Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life, Jesus. Forgive me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again on the third day. I turn from my sin. I want to live for you. I put my life in your hands. It's your life now, God. 
Give me the strength from this day forward to live for you. To do what is right in your eyes. Put that hope in my own heart. And I give every burden that I'm carrying, I give it to you, Jesus. I can't carry this worry any longer. I can't carry this anxiety, this trouble, this troubleness in my soul. I can't carry it any longer. And I cast my burdens upon you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross. I thank you for being my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, it's Elliot back again, the producer of the Intelligent Living Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. If you found this episode to be useful, would you leave a comment and let us know how it empowered you to live your life more abundantly? Also, don't forget to rate the podcast and share it with the people that you know, love, and trust the most. We can't wait to hear from you, and we will see you next time.